I'm going to go straight in this afternoon, folks. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to 10. Uh, you can just listen as I read, and then maybe once I've finished reading, you can open it up in your passage. But just listen to these words, Colossians 3, verse 5 to 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free but Christ is all and in all let me pray again father we thank you for your word what a privilege it is that you have spoken and that you've given us hearts not just to hear but to respond to and so we pray that by the power of your spirit you would change us in these next few moments that you would increase in us a likeness of your son heavenly father lord jesus these are your words we believe that they come to us this afternoon in power. We believe that they are here to not just encourage us, but to challenge us. We believe that they are living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray that you would do your will amongst us, that you would change us by the power of your spirit for our good and for your glory. Amen. A few years ago, we were on a, a beach holiday down in Cornwall. Uh, Alan Heller's favourite spot, Porthmore or Porthmuir Beach. Muir, there we go, Porthmuir Beach, one of the nicest beaches in the country. And the week that we happened to go was also the week that the rest of the UK decided to go to this beach as well because it was absolutely rammed. It was a beautifully sunny day. Uh, the beach was chocker, the sea was probably even busier. And as we like to do when we go on beach holidays, I like to go and pretend that I can surf. So we went out, I went out into the water. Uh, with a surfboard amongst uh, lots of other people who also went out with their surfboards and we were battling for the waves like there was only a, a limited number of waves and everyone was lining up ready to jump on the wave and have it take us into the shore I was next to this young fella and he was on one of these foamy boards have you seen them like luminous yellow or luminous blue foam boards that beginners this little beginner boy he was jumping on his, his board there and it was um, you know it's, it kind of takes you in a nice straight line it's quite easy to use so he was next to me I was on my surfboard and we caught the the wave at the same time and it's taken us into the beach I'm a little bit heavier than him so I get ahead of him and as we're nearly at the end of the the wave uh, coming up towards the shallows I feel a really sharp like a like a thud in the side of my foot and I turn around and he's fallen off his board his board has carried on and it's whacked me in the side of my foot. Anyway, I didn't think much of it. Carried on for another 30 or 40 minutes until I got out of the water and was walking towards Elizabeth up the beach, my Baywatch moment. And she was um, <laughs> looking at me funny, looking down at my feet. And it wasn't just footprints that I had left in the sand. There was blood in the sand behind me. The side of my foot had bust open from this boy's surfboard hitting the side of me and there was a nice trail of blood and as I was standing still a nice pool of blood underneath my foot you can't feel it when you're in the water anyway we went up to the beach and got it bandaged up 
And it took a good few weeks to, to even start to heal. But eventually it started to pull itself together. It was about, I don't know, about, about that long. It was quite deep. And uh, over the process of healing, something quite interesting happened. So it began to scab over. I apologise, by the way, if you're squeamy or, um, or squirmish, but this is where we're going. It began to scab over. And as it scabbed over, bits of pus would come out. And it was, you know, funny colours and a bit yellow and a bit nasty. But anyway, it settled down after a few weeks until, I don't know, it must have been about a month in, maybe longer. Uh, just something hard was on the scab. So I gave her a little, a little bit of a, you know, just a, a pull and, a, and something yellow popped out. And I literally didn't know what it was. Bit of muscle, tendon, who knows? But we got the tweezers and decided to give it a pull. <laughs> Elizabeth starts pulling on it and out from the wound comes a piece of luminous yellow foam about that long. The wound healed up. About a week later, another bit of yellow popped out. Out came the tweezers, and another bit of luminous yellow foam came out. And this happened three times. And I learned an important medical, um, I don't know what you call it, but it's a bit strange, but an oddity. Basically, when, when something goes into your body, I mean, it's the same principle with a splinter, right? Your body wants to get rid of it. It works hard to reject it and to push it out, and that's what was happening in my foot. A bit of foam had got in, the body didn't want it there, and so it was working hard to push that thing out. Now, it's interesting. If you've been with us as we've been working through this letter to the Colossians, we are about to see something similar in terms of the work that God wants to do in our lives. We've been hearing over the last few weeks about this new life that we've been brought into. The Christian life is a new life. We saw that last week as Mark started chapter 3 for us. We have a new life because our old life is dead. If you're a Christian, your sin life that was nailed to the cross with Jesus, it died with him. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. That old life has gone. And the new life that we're living now, well, when Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, he secured for us this life that we live now, this new life, a life which is different to the old life, a life which The one that we stand in now, it is a life where we think differently. We love differently. We have different ambitions and desires and affections and behaviours. This new life that we live now is a life where we don't do the things that we used to do and we do do things that we didn't used to do. I'm made up that I got that out. (laughs) And this new life that we live now, it is a life that works hard to reject the old life. And when we see signs of it pop up and and trying to to come back into our life, we work hard with the help of the Spirit to reject it and put it away. And so far in this letter, particularly in chapters 1 and 2, we have enjoyed the most beautiful revelation of Christ, haven't we? Paul, the writer with Timothy, has been deliberately exalting Christ, lifting Christ up for us. And particularly for the Colossian church, this is what he's doing. He's trying to bring a vision of Christ, the the beautiful, magnificent, wonderful Christ that he presents in this letter. He's trying to bring him to the forefront of their vision. He wants to bring Christ front and center so that they can see who he is, so that they can be warned by him, so that they can worship him. But not only that, so that they can live in light of who he is. Paul does this all the time. He presents Christ and the beauty of the gospel, not just so that we can worship him, 
but so that we can respond rightly in light of who he is. Paul is saying through these chapters, if you have received Christ Jesus, now live in light of who he is. If you've received him, live in light of who he is. What does that look like? Well, we see in chapter three here, a kind of cycle of three actions. First of all, we see that it looks like putting off sin. We get rid of it, we reject it, we put it off. And then we're going to see next week that we put on righteousness. There are ways that we should live. And then the next week, we're going to see that we pursue Christ-likeness. We look to live like Christ, particularly in the relationships around us. Put off sin, put on righteousness, and pursue Christ-likeness. And we're going to move through each one over the next three weeks, starting this afternoon with putting off sin. That is the call of the passage that we've just read. Put off sin. We have this list of sinful desires in verse 5, and sinful behaviours in verse 8 and 9, and Paul says really clearly, put them off. Get rid of them. Put them to death. How do we do that? What does it look like for the believer to put sin away? We need to remember that these verses are part of a, a much bigger section of Scripture, right? Like quite often we like to, to land in portions of scripture and just take one verse and, and live in that verse, right? And, and think, oh, this is, this is so relevant to where I am now. And, and in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But a much better way to read scripture is in, in the whole context of where it's found. And actually, if you think of how this letter was first received, the Colossians didn't receive it like we've got it here with, with chapters and verses and subheadings. They received it as a letter. Paul wrote to them as a letter and someone would have stood in front of the church, maybe Epaphras, the pastor, and read out all of this letter. And so think of where they've been so far. Think of what they've heard so far. Think of what they've experienced and been immersed in so far. As they come to this point in the letter in chapter three and they're being told to put away sin, already they have had their heads and their hearts filled and captivated with the beauty of Christ. They're not coming to this instruction cold. They have their heads and their hearts full of the beauty of Christ. We need to see that, folks. We need to see that a heart captivated by Christ is a heart that is ready to put off sin. Don't just see an issue in your life. Don't just see a a sin in your life and just run out and think, think that you can just do away with it and solve it. You can't. You come to Christ. That is the only way that we resolve sin in our lives is to have our hearts filled with the beauty of who he is. Just before we get to the passage that we've been in here, Mark led us through verses one to four. And and in these verses, Paul is running a little exercise. Ryan mentioned we did it in our gospel communities this week. He says to the believers in Colossians and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we hear it to us here now. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Remember that from last week? Set your hearts on Christ where he is seated now, the right hand of the Father. Set your minds on things above. And that's what we did this week as we gathered as gospel communities. We replayed Paul's little exercise. We took some time individually to meditate on Christ, to see him as the ascended, risen saviour. And we just, we went off in our gospel community just for a few minutes and just contemplated, okay, who is he? 
Who is Christ to me? Like, what do, I, what do I think of when I meditate on Christ? And we had a beautiful time of just individual reflection and then we shared back. Someone said, I, I, see, I see the Prince of Peace. Someone else said, I see um, the risen King victorious, ruling over everything. Someone else said, I, I just, as I'm contemplating, I just feel his peaceful presence. And she needed it last, that week. She was having a tough time. Someone else saw the king in all of his gentleness, in all of his humility. We remembered our saviour seated with all authority. See, every believer has been given a new heart that hates sin and longs to do what this passage, verse 5 to 11 that we've just read, longs to do what this passage is calling us to do, to put off sin. But how often do we walk into that battle in our own strength? How often do we see sin in our life and think, right, I can fix this. I just need to stay away from that thing for a little bit. I just need to keep it in the shelf or or lock it up. Or I just need to stay off the the computer or off the phone. Or I just need to bite my lip. Or I just need to spend my money a little bit. I, I can fix this. And we come up with all sorts of schemes and plans to try and solve our sin on our own. And we work hard at it. And we hack away at it. And we sweat and we grit our teeth. Trying our best to deal with this sin. To put it off in our own strength. Only to find a few minutes later or a few hours, weeks, months, whenever it is, it pops up again. And it rears its head. Folks, we need to see our only hope for putting off sin is to have our hearts set on Christ. It is the only way. Fighting sin is a battle. Yes, Paul uses fight and talk here. It is a battle, but the expectation is that we will do it with our hearts fixed on Christ. It is the only way. Imagine this. Imagine... um, Anyone got an empty glass? Yours is a little bit full. Can you make the call? I'll use it. I'm a bit thirsty. <laughs> imagine you have an empty glass. And imagine I say to you, okay, you can use all the resources that you want. You can, um, you can tap into the most intelligent scientists, the most... Um, Uh, experienced engineers, you can have access to the world-class top laboratories. Here's what I want you to do. Empty that glass of air. You can take as long as you want, as much money as you want to spend on it. And you might go away and you might come up with some harebrained ideas of, I don't know, here's what I came up with, um, flying it into space where the atmosphere might kind of push the air out or, I don't know, just do something to the air to get rid of the air. Or you might come up with a machine that compresses the air like really tightly down and then quickly puts a lid on top to stop any more air getting in. I don't know. You might come up with all sorts of crazy ideas to try and get the air out of that glass when simply all you need to do is fill it with water. That's the easiest way, right? You fill it with water and then all the air that's in it comes out. A few hundred years ago, a Scottish preacher called Thomas Chalmers wrote a beautiful book called The Expulsive Power of a Greater Affection. And he is tapping into exactly the same principle. Here's what he would say. You look in God's word and this is what you see. Our hearts are always full of something. 
They're always full of something. There's no such thing as an empty heart. Nature hates a vacuum. You know what I mean by that? It always wants to fill it. And it's the same with our hearts. They're always full of something. And we all have sin in our hearts. And every day sin is contending to climb in and to take up occupancy in our hearts. And we can come up with all sorts of schemes and all sorts of plans to rid ourselves of sin in our hearts. But Chalmers says this, the best way, the only way to rid your heart of sin is to fill it with something greater. To fill it with something heavier. To fill it with something that has infinitely more value and infinitely more worth. Chalmers would say this. If you want to rid yourself of sin, fill your heart with Christ. The expulsive power of a greater affection. We rid our heart of the desire to sin, friends, by filling our heart with a desire for Christ. And in verse 5 and 6, we see why we'd want to do that. Paul lists out these sins that he's caused us to put us to, to put to death in verse five, and then on verse six he says this: "On account of these sins, the wrath of God is coming." You want a reason for why you should put away sin? The wrath of God is coming. The consequences of sin, folks, are devastating. Please don't take sin lightly. Judgment is coming for those who don't fill their hearts with Christ and aren't putting sin away. And that's not because God doesn't like sin and and so he's decided to punish it. The wrath of God, the judgment of God is the necessary reaction of true holiness, true justice and true goodness towards sin and evil. God has to act against it. And it is coming for every person who willfully and continually chooses sin over Christ. When we're talking about the wrath of God, we're not talking about a slap on the wrist. We're not talking about, oh, it's okay. Try better next time. When we're talking about the wrath of God, we're talking about hell. Eternal judgment away from the loving kindness of God. That is what is coming if we cozy up to sin. That's what is coming if we, if we want to take sin lightly and think, oh, it's just, it's just something that I can, I can resolve it on my own. I, I'm really a good person. That's what is coming if we treat sin lightly. That is what is coming if we don't take sin seriously. If we are not running to Christ for help in sin, that is what is coming. Please don't take sin lightly, friends. Some of you might remember uh, back in the early 2000s, a magic act, Siegfried and Roy. Remember them? Anyone? No? Maybe not as famous as I thought. Mike does. You know them, Mike. Siegfried and Roy were this um, really famous act uh, back in the 2000s, a double act. And they had a, a long-standing show in Vegas. They were, they were that good. And the, the unique thing about their show, they did all sorts of amazing magic acts. But the really unique thing about their show was a 400-pound white tiger called Manticore that they owned. They raised them from a pup. And this tiger would roam up and down the stage freely, right? And then they would bring the tiger into different acts and it was all a bit of a show and everyone thought it was wonderful until in 2003, Roy Horn, one of the act, went off script. He thought it would be interesting just to see if they could push the boundaries a little bit with Manticore. And so he bent down with his microphone 
with his arm around this 400 pound tiger and try to get the tiger to speak. Now, obviously he wasn't gonna speak, but he could make noises that sounded a little bit like a human. And so he's, he's down here encouraging the tiger to, to say hello or something and the tiger wasn't having it. And he snapped and he uh, swiped at horn, knocked him off his feet, pinned him to the floor with his claws, ripped open his throat and then dragged him off the stage. It took four stagehands to get the tiger. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be one of them. But it took four guys to pull this tiger off and a fire extinguisher to try and discourage him. Blood everywhere. Roy Horn has a stroke as he's lying down. He's paralyzed all the way down his left side. Has multiple heart attacks. Never fully recovers from it. After the incident, they launched an investigation to, to try and figure out, you know, why, why did Manticore react like that? Like, why, why did he, 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 he create so much damage? Which is comical when you think about it. The reason is obvious. If you play with a 400-pound tiger, you're going to get hurt. Friends, the effects of sin are so much more deadly. So don't play with it. Don't cozy up to it. Don't entertain it. Don't stroke it. Don't feed it. Put it off. Kill it. Rid your life of it because the wrath of God is coming for it. And if you're not a Christian here this afternoon, please hear that warning. The wrath of God is coming for you. Your sin is leading you to eternal spiritual death and your only hope is to die to your sin and to be made new, to be born again with new desires, with new, affection, with new affections and a new heart. And Jesus offers you that this afternoon. So come to him. Confess of your sin, turn away from it and put your faith in him for salvation. If you are a Christian... And the good news for you this afternoon is the wrath of God due to you for your sin is gone. You know that already. And when you sin, which you will, what's coming for you isn't wrath. It's grace. It is the grace of God seen in his merciful forgiveness. The grace of God seen in his abiding love. Wrath isn't coming for you, brother and sister. Grace is coming for you when you sin. And so you might think, well, happy days, let's just, let's crack on and sin. If the wrath of God isn't coming and it's just good stuff that's coming, well, we can just keep on sinning. Well, you won't. You won't keep on sinning because you know where that wrath has gone. To say that God's wrath towards you has gone doesn't mean that it's just magically disappeared. Your wrath has gone to Christ. The judgment for you, for your sin against the holy God, was taken by Christ and his death on the cross. He suffered the experience of hell in your place. He absorbed the full force of the fury of God against you for your sin in your place. And now it's gone. All of it. 
And so for you, if you're a Christian, the wrath of God is still a compelling reason for you to put away sin. Not because the wrath of God is coming for you, but because it's already come for Jesus Christ. That's enough of a reason to want to put away sin. Because it crucified your saviour and your loving Lord and King Jesus. His tortuous, agonising, wrath-absorbing death creates and should create within the believer a repulsion for sin. It should make us hate it with every fibre of our being because we love him. Because he has absorbed the wrath of God due to us for us. The wrath of God is a motivation to put away sin. And here is another one. We see it in verse 7 and verse 9 to 11. Another reason that we'd want to put away sin is because the person who loves and engages in sin, well, that isn't you anymore. If you're a believer, that isn't you anymore. Verse 7, Paul says that this list of sins, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, idolatry, in verse 7, he says, those were things in which you once walked. In verse 9, we see the list before that. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, lying. He says, those are things that were with your old self. We used to live in those ways. Those ways belong to our old self. But in verse 10, God's word says that isn't who you are anymore. This is who you are. You are someone now who has a new life. And in this new life that you have been given, it isn't growing in its affection for sin. It isn't indulging in these sins. In the new life, you are growing into the perfect, sinless, righteous image of Christ. And in verse 11, you see all those lists of of different comparisons. Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Syrian, slave, free. Paul is saying your identity, your primary identity isn't now found in where you were born or your race or your social status. Your identity now is found in Christ. That is who you are. You aren't someone who who loves and has affections for these sins anymore. You aren't someone who is identified by where you are from. You are now someone who hates sin, whose affections are stirred for Christ and who primarily finds their identity in him. So when you see these sins emerge, put them to death. Rid yourself of them because they are not who you are and they are not what you do anymore. They are from a former life, a life that you have left behind, a life that you do not identify with anymore. So let me just slow down a little bit and just walk us through this list. Because Paul isn't just plucking random sins out here. He's deliberately pointing out sinful attitudes and behaviours that should look foreign to the Christian. They should look foreign to us. Like that piece of yellow stuff that was coming out of my foot and just wanted to get out of there. When we see these sins emerge, we should do all that we can to run to Christ, to fill our hearts with affections for him and to move away from these sins. Sexual immorality. That's a catch-all word that the Bible uses for any sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Outside of a marriage of a man and a woman, if you're engaging in sexual intimacy, then Paul says, put that to death. Impurity. Contamination of character that's caused by immoral behaviour. Passion. 
He's talking about lust here that we, we can't control, that kind of overwhelms us. Evil desire, wanting what isn't yours, greed, covetousness, that is unchecked hunger for physical pleasure and idolatry, devoting your life to anything other than God. When these things pop up, they are not you, so kill them. The language Paul uses here, it's heavy, isn't it? Murder it. Put it to death. Leave no sign of life of that sin in your life. The first sniff of temptation to indulge in any of those sins, run to Jesus. Look to him. Do that exercise that we saw in verses 1 to 4. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on Christ. Fill your heart with affection for him. The moment you find temptation towards sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed, idolatry. The moment you sense it coming, run to Jesus. Put those things to death. What about the next list? Anger. That's continuous smouldering hatred. Wrath or rage. That's when that anger breaks out into destructive words or deeds. Malice. That's evil, spiteful actions intended to hurt. Slander. Speech which, which maligns someone else. Obscene talk from your mouth. It's innuendo, smutty language that contaminates both you and those who hear. And then lies, portraying to those around us a false image of who we are. When we see those sins coming, put them away. Rid your life of that behaviour. Can I just say, we all struggle with all these things at times, we do. But this afternoon, brothers, can I just speak to you directly? Because there is something about this list of sins here, particularly that second list there that we see in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, lies, betraying an image of yourself that isn't actually you to the world. There is something about that that our culture applauds in men at the moment. It's good to kind of show an anger towards something in an unrighteous way. It's good to be a passionate man in in an unrighteous way. It's good even if we back up to the other list to be someone who is sexually immoral, who actually goes out and does away with marriage and does away with pursuing a, a family under the rule of God. There's something about that that our culture celebrates in men. And says, oh, this is what it means to be a man, to be loose sexually, to be angry, to be someone who uses filthy language and and jokes with innuendo on your WhatsApp group. Can I speak directly to you, brothers? Put it away. Get rid of it. Don't play with it like it's your friend. It wants to kill you. And it kills your saviour. When these sins pop up, friends, and we talk to us all again, they are not you if you're a believer. So get rid of them. Just like when we find objects in our body that feel like they don't belong, they feel foreign and they get pushed out. So when we see these sins in our lives, push them away as fast as you can. And please hear you cannot do that in your own strength. 
The way that we put away sin is to fill our hearts with Christ. So come to him. Look at him. Adore him. Allow your affections to be stirred for him. Christ has given you a new heart that hates sin and he has given us the remedy for putting sin away himself. The wrath of God is coming for sin, so put it away. Come to Christ. Receive his grace. Fill your heart with his love and put off your sin. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that in your kindness you've shown us the better way to live. Thank you that you desire for us to walk in paths of righteousness. That is the better way to live, but it is also the, the joyful way to live. Help us as we seek to be men and women this week who live in light of what we heard this afternoon. Help us to hear the lies of the world, our flesh, the devil who will say that these sins are a path to joy, a path to freedom. Help us to hear your words louder and clearer than, than anyone else's. Help us this week to look to your son to see him for who he is, to see him for what he has done for us. Fill our hearts with love for him. And as you do, as our hearts are filled and our affections are stirred, we pray that sin will be pushed away, that we would see Jesus as more lovely, as more worthy, as more valuable, as better than anything this world has to offer. Help us to hate sin as you hate it, Father. With every fiber of our being, help us to hate it and put it away. Keep us from playing with it, entertaining it, making a home for it in our hearts. Show us how foolish that is, how reckless it is, how unloving it is. And Father, we confess that we can't do this on our own, so we, we ask for your spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us, help us, comfort us, convict us. And would you, by your power, make us more into the likeness of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's him to, that we look to. It's him that we worship. It's him that we adore. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.